Hey, welcome to Bulls Gold here on Nothing But Net Radio, a part of Dash Radio. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going? It's going good, Ed. Just enjoying some NBA playoffs. You know, every time they come back and you forget how much you miss them. But yeah, it's been some a lot of fun games uh, already so far. It's only been day one and we had some really, you know, interesting endings. The Bucks and... And Miami series, one that's probably a little closer to my heart just because I'm rooting for Miami because, you know, I'm, I'm a Jimmy Stan. And <laughs> as always, I, I always root for Miami in that situation. And then, yeah, that was a great game. And then we saw uh, the game after with uh, Luca or Dallas and, the, and Clippers. And Luca was, again, just an absolute beast, just toying with the Clippers. And obviously, we saw that little blurb he had with uh, driving to the paint uh, yelling at Pat Bev that he's uh, too fucking small. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just watching those games and yeah, just relaxing for the most part. How about yourself? Same. The games last night were really good and I'm excited to see what we have uh, in today's games. And we were talking about just general predictions of who we think is coming out the East and West. And uh, like you pointed out with I think Brooklyn right now has a chance to make a historic run, not just because of the obvious Hall of Fame talent that they have, but the fact that they just haven't played much at all. And it like together and it won't even matter because they're just too damn good. So uh, watching them last night was really fun. And the other games we got to see as well were a blast and uh, seeing Carmelo like go off for a minute. I didn't see the entire uh, Portland Denver game, but seeing him like feel it, and after the Nuggets fans were booing him, like he was really getting into it. So it looked like old Mellow for a second. Mellow with the Braves, like in Denver going off. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's it's interesting. You know, it's funny, like they still hate him there and they still talk. It's it's weird the the conversation around Mellow in Denver. It's like Mellow revenge game. It's like revenge for what? He chose to leave. Like he asked to be out. Well, he asked to be traded, and they and they obliged. Like, okay, fine, we'll trade you, but I don't know what's their revenge about. <laughs> but yeah, they they still. It's kind of weird too, and and their curse is like, man, it's been long enough. Like, let it go. Like, I don't understand why you're still booing him. Yeah, like, it's, it's a weird dynamic. I I don't get it, but hey, he's one of he's one of their best players ever. So at some point, they have to uh, give him the flowers, even though he wanted out. But, yeah, they they purposely so shade at him right now too. Like they they yeah. go out of their way to like not have him listed as like you know whenever whenever the conversation comes about for best nugget of all time. Like I feel like they always leave Melo off on purpose, like just to like big shots at him. <laughs> it's, even funny. it's even funnier because I thought about this last night, but I can't think of a time when a great player left the team and then another great player took their number and they may go down. Like they may actually get that number retired one day. Like Carmelo wore 15 and now Jokic wears 15. So I guess the chances of Carmelo ever getting his Jersey retired in Denver are pretty much gone as long as Jokic is uh, continuing yeah. doing what he's doing. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really weird thing. I don't know. I, I couldn't think of any comparable examples to it, but. It was yeah, interesting. Can, can you have two num? Uh, can you have one number retired for two people? Has, has that ever happened? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we've had one. We've had two numbers retired for one player with Kobe. So I don't know. Yeah. 
whatever happened. But it, it would be a lot. These playoffs would be a lot more enjoyable if the Bulls were involved. But as we know, the Bulls missed out on the play-in tournament and they missed out on the playoffs. But this season was not a complete disaster. It was there were some highs. There were some lows. We got to see Zach Levine and continue to improve his level of play, becoming a legitimate all-star player for the first time in his career. So that was fun. We got a really big trade in uh, acquiring Nikola Vucevic. Patrick Williams showed some flashes. So uh, even though there were some struggles along the way, this season wasn't that bad. And to wrap up this season and see where the Bulls are going to go from here and just to talk about what all we saw this season joining us from NBC Sports Chicago. He always does a great job of covering the Bulls, and we've had him on Bulls Gold a ton of times and always love having him back. Rob Schaefer. Rob, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, thanks as always for, for having me, guys, like you mentioned. Spoiled by the amount of quality, high-level high, high level playoff basketball going on, but also stupidly locked in on the Bulls offseason. So <laughs> good to be here once again. <laughs> No doubt, Rob. No doubt. So let's just jump right into it. What are what are some of the big takeaways that you have from what we saw from the Bulls this season? Yeah. So like you mentioned, positive steps in a couple areas, especially pre All-Star break. I thought they were really moving in the right direction, although they, you know, throughout the entire season, never really got over the hump in terms of beating winning teams uh, at, at junctures of the season that that mattered thought they were taking positive steps. Obviously you see a massive leap from Zach Levine, uh, you know, scoring at the, at the most prolific level of his career, nearly historic efficiency, even by the, the end of the season breaks through the all-star barrier. Uh, I think, you know, if he doesn't miss 11 games with that, with that COVID-19 absence and if the bulls don't, uh, you know, fail, um, you know, or fail relative to their goals post trade deadline. Um, he might've been on an all NBA trajectory. He certainly would have appeared on a lot of ballots. So that's a huge positive development for the franchise. Uh, Billy Donovan, you know, there were positive moments again, you know, in terms of his eliciting player buy-in throughout the first season. Ultimately, there are schematic things, there are rotation things throughout the season, especially as they shifted more into win-now mode uh, while he was grappling with adjusting post-deadline that I think can be criticized. But overall, I think he delivered about um, what you would have expected from Billy Donovan at the beginning of the season, you know, uh, you know, taking a player's first approach to things. Uh, players seem to like and respect him. Overall, I think that's something that you could say positively about the Bulls, even though the results of the season are disappointing, is that the culture seems to me, uh, you know, we're not as intimately uh, embedded in, in the team and in the organization as we would have been in the normal season, everything being over Zoom and relegated to kind of digital communication. Uh, but it, it seems pretty safe to say that the culture is in a better place uh, at this time this year versus whatever, March 11th uh, of 2020, which is when uh, last season would have ended March 12th. So that's um, and then in terms of the front office, you know, oh, as has been well documented, they are they play things close to the vest, but they're not uh, afraid. They don't shy away from aggressive moves when opportunities present themselves. You saw that with hiring Billy, you saw that with, uh, you know, building out the, the front office staff and the player development staff in the offseason. So at the trade deadline, uh, but the results after the trade deadline just leave a sour taste, uh, especially when you consider. You know, you, you can't even make the play-in round uh, when they expand to 10 teams this season. That, to me, is just – it's hard to overstate how much of a, a failure that is relative to the, the goals of the team. There are ex extenuating circumstances in there from the condensed schedule to not only having to adjust to new players on the roster, but, you know, new focal point pieces on the roster that really drastically shifted the way they played. Uh, but even so, you know, some of the losses they had in there are inexcusable – 
you know, my, uh, my pal Cody Westerlin tweeted out a couple of days ago that if the bulls had won every game that they led by five within the final minute, but ended up losing, they would be in the playing round, which really kind of tells the story of this bull season. Uh, the late game collapses, the early game collapses where, you know, you come out against Cleveland, for example, and you don't show up for the first three quarters. There were a couple examples of games like that, Orlando at home the day before Zach went out. Um, so it, it's, it, I guess the season I would just describe as one step forward, two steps back, pretty much the whole way through. Uh, and then ultimately uh, you fall short. Uh, I think there's reason for optimism in the future. When you talk about building around two all-stars, I think most people liked what they saw in Patrick Williams, even if, you know, we would have liked to see more of it. Um, there's solid vets around uh, just the off season. They have to work cut out for them because they're limited in the resource department, but uh, there is no shortage of holes to address um, in terms of, you know, maybe adding a point guard, maybe adding a two way wing, um, you know, building out a game plan for how this team's going to play next season. So talking to these guys at exit interviews and listening to, to Billy and Arturis talk, the, the gravity of the situation is not lost on them. But for me, you know, there were there were really signs in the first half of the season that the Bulls were on a kind of team on the rise trajectory. And then that gets a little dampened uh, by the late uh, by the late season stretch. So they got a lot of work to do this offseason and at the start and throughout next season to kind of reclaim that deserved optimism uh, back, in my opinion. Pat, Pat Williams obviously is probably the biggest. Uh, topic or most important player in, in a sense, obviously outside of Zach and Booch, as far as his development is concerned. Uh, one thing I, I actually really wonder with him, and I don't know if you've ever gotten a sense with the organization or for AK and Billy, like what position do they see him as? Um, that's my biggest question uh, because I see him as a four and I have issues with how he would be developed at the three i don't think he can lad like laterally i don't think he's quick enough to keep up with a lot of these perimeter guys as i think we saw all season uh i think it was difficult for him to guard guys like devin booker um Kawhi leonard i mean he did okay with Kawhi as far as trying to you know disrupt his shot but Kawhi was just kind of abusing him still um and with also with that said it was also him having to guard like the best player all game at the age of 19. And then also us asking him then to be like, Hey, be more aggressive on offense. It's kind of like, it was just like kind of like a mix of, I, I don't know if we're developing him, right. Especially if, if we're not developing him at his proper position. So, so what, what do you sense from, from the organization? What do you, what do they see Pat as? And um, do you think that that's going to be a, a key factor going into the off season trying to get, the right position that just next to him. You know, they, they clearly saw him as a three for most of this season. Maybe that had a lot to do with the roster construction just because they were so front court heavy by the end of the year. But I, I agree completely with you, Salim. I would be moving forward with him as a four. Um, you know, I just think his skills or the, or the, the nuggets of skills that we saw this season that can be developed um, in, in the modern NBA are just so much more advantageous for you at the four His his, you know, flashes of ball handling and passing, obviously the spot up shooting, um, I, I thought, you know, it, the rebounding numbers obviously aren't tremendous by the end of the year, but in that stretch where he started for Lowry, when he was out, he ticked that up a little bit. Um, I think he showed enough as kind of a help side, um, defender and shot blocker that, you know, you could just project just given his size, the physical tools that he has, um, that he would work at the four long-term as his game and, and his body and everything obviously continues to develop. So that's, that, that's how I see him. I kind of saw him that way 
from when he was drafted. But again, just because of the way the roster was laid out, you, you figured he'd be playing most of his minutes at the three um, throughout the season. Um, to your point about the, yeah, the defending the best player and then asking to be more aggressive offensively, it really highlights how, you know, the zoomed out view of Pat's rookie year, it can be easy to lose perspective on it because Lamella was so fantastic. Halliburton was so fantastic. Uh, Anthony Edwards had such a strong close to the season, but I still do believe that the zoomed out view uh, of Pat's uh, rookie year was pretty impressive just with the amount of responsibility placed on his shoulders at this age and with the lack of preparation during the off season. Moving forward, I would have loved to, uh, ask uh, Arturis um, about that at, at the end of season pressers. We ran out of time just in terms of uh, questions. And there were, there were things we had to get to. And, and I was curious to see him address um, above it, but I, I would be fascinated to, to hear that because at the time of him being drafted um, and throughout Pat, you know, hearing talking to Pat all season, they really hammered the positionless thing and how his skill set was so versatile. He was going to be able to guard one to four, one to five. He's going to be able to, to handle a little bit in transition and run pick and rolls, which they had him do. Um, more so as the season went on. So I would imagine, you know, publicly that's the message they would kind of put out is like, don't worry about it. He's going to be able to play um, anywhere that we need him to. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you got to put the starting lineup card in and guys have to be in certain slots and, you know, based on, you know, guys' heights and measurables and skill sets, like you, you end up playing certain positions um, in the NBA, even if it is, uh, even if positions are being blent more, blended more uh, in this era than any other. Uh, I, I see Pat as a four. I think this offseason, the moves that they make are really going to telegraph that, um, what, where they see him. Um, you know, obviously, I, I'd be surprised if Lowry Markinen was back, for example. But in terms of deciding, you know, with Thad's partial guarantee, with Tice a free agent, you know, how much do you invest in building that front court out to being as deep as it was last year? Or do you try to, you know, bring one or two of those guys back, that trio and then, um, you know, invest resources in trying to get more guard help, more help at the, you know, kind of two, three spot uh, where Garrett Temple was, you know, pretty much the, uh, the, the best reliable option outside of Pat uh, for most of this season. I, I think they'd just be better served with balancing the roster a little bit better and try and pat out at the four, um, especially once he gets this full offseason in summer league to kind of try things out. In terms of what they do, I, I can't say that I'm sure. Um, I, you know, I can only read what they did so far, which was playing him predominantly at the three. I liked his minutes at the four. Um, I thought they were some of the best minutes that he played all season. That stretch starting for Lowry and, um, you know, just kind of random smatterings here and there. There's a stat on I'm cleaning the glass um, that I don't think I've used anywhere yet. Um, but that, you know, Pat, it's obviously sample sizes are, are different here, but he played 40 percent of his minutes at power forward this season. And his effective field goal percentage was 57.4 when he played at that spot, which would be 89th percentile for that position. At small forward, it was 52.1, which would be 30th. Um, so I just, I just think it, it, that's not obviously a tell-all stat. You can't take everything away from that, but it kind of highlights how much you can really take advantage when you have a guy that has the skill set that he does at the four as opposed to the three. Um, I think they should be looking to do that moving forward, and we'll see what they do this offseason because I think that'll tell us a lot about how they view that conundrum. You mentioned Lowry Markinen, and when the Bulls moved on from Jim Boylan, I think – one of the expectations is that Larry Markinen would be one of the beneficiaries on the team from his departure. And a lot of us wanted to see if Larry Markinen could reach that permanent uh, production or maybe something near it of the uh, February Lowry that we, we saw in the past. But of course that didn't happen. And he ended, he started the season as a starter, but ended up, ended up, 
end of the season. Well, he, he started the last game, but he basically ended the season as a non-starter. So the expectation now is that he is going to be gone, as you said. So we're going to have to pour one out for Lowry. But what do you think about how his season ended up going? I, I think we like I, I think it's such a night and day difference from two years ago when we thought he was really going to break out. And now he really is just kind of just another guy. And it, it seems pretty likely that he's going to be gone. So what were your thoughts on how everything played out with Lowry Mark? Yeah, well, I, we did our we did kind of end of season awards. Awards might not be the right word uh, for this on the on the Bulls Talk podcast last week. And it, Kate, my colleague Casey Johnson, and I both had Lowry as our most disappointing player for this season for all, all the reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, we we all saw how he regressed uh, in uh, Jim Boylan's last season um, in 2019-20. Uh, kind of just seemed he was confined to kind of a catch and shoot role, roaming the perimeter, not involved in kind of creating offense. Um, not a focal point, um, you know, at, at least watching the games, uh, even though, you know, he, he ended with, you know, scoring averages that were, you know, among the top two or three on the team and, and, and whatnot. I thought coming into this season that all the principles that Billy Donovan said he was going to implement and did in terms of ball movement, player movement, um, all the emphasis that, that him and Arturis Karnaschovas, um, you know, said that they were going to put on Lowry's development and, and building a game plan to get him back, to make him not just a catch and shoot forward um, and I think in, in in practice, at least watching the games, um, I thought early in the season, of course, because his, his jumper was falling, he was on an absolute heater shooting from three. And I thought he just looked more engaged, getting downhill, cutting, being more involved in the offense. Um, and, you know, through, you know, there was a COVID absence in there, not not from getting COVID, but from being on the protocol list um, that cost him, I think, seven games in there. But basically through his first 14 games, which to your point, of Edward, about February, Lowry, who I've never heard, I've, I've never heard that before, but that made me laugh. Um, to your point about that, you know, we had about a 14 game, one month sample size of Lowry looking tremendous at averaging the highest um, points per game of his career at around 19, um, you know, well over 50%, 40% from three. Um, so he was, he, he looked at like everything that you would have wanted to see under the new regime. Um, and then he obviously misses time with the shoulder sprain, struggles to find his footing when he gets back. It, it became more, and this is something that I feared even when he was on his hot streak at the beginning of the season, but when the jumper stopped falling, when those numbers kind of, um, you know, came back down to earth a little bit, it became apparent that the ancillary components of his offensive game, you know, creating for himself, creating for others, obviously the defensive uh, concerns are what they are, where not only, you know, is he not necessarily the best perimeter defender or rim protector, He's not very versatile between positions. So all those things kind of then bubble to the surface, right? When the shot isn't falling, um, then he finds himself the odd man out after the trade deadline, not just because they acquire Nikola Vucevic and they pull him from the starting lineup after a game because that tandem uh, doesn't work. And I don't think anyone, uh, you know, ever had an inkling that it might work um, in terms of starting together. Uh, not only that, he was also shopped at the trade deadline, um, you know, most notably for, uh, in, you know, in a package around Lonzo Ball with the Pelicans. So just in a lot of ways, as the season wore on, Lowry's role and seeming importance within the organization diminished uh, gradually as time went on. By the end of the season, uh, you know, yeah, obviously he starts that last game against the Bucs, but he was basically the backup small forward, which is just pretty unbelievable when you think of the expectations coming into the season and how the season started uh, playing out of position, coming off the bench. Um, by all accounts, he, he handled that uh, with professionalism, but it couldn't have been easy for him. Um, and then, you know, I, I just I just thought it was interesting to hear Arturis at his end of season presser talk about Lowry as if he was, you know, a, a crucial piece of the team, an important piece to what they were building. 
the actions just don't back up that sentiment. And maybe it was a, you know, a, a trick to try to build up his value on the restricted market, because to me, if the, especially if the bulls operate over the cap, one of their only chips to play is a potential sign and trade uh, for Lowry. That's something that I would be looking at hard if I was them um, because of, you know, how, how things seem to have uh, fractured a little bit there from an on-court perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no, there's nothing else you can describe it as is disappointed. He had, you know, ample opportunities to grow into that second star alongside Zach Levine, that second building block um, for which the bulls could, uh, could rely on and build around for years to come. And it didn't come to pass. As it turns out, they went and acquired that person on the trade market. And uh, not only does that fill that role, it also um, makes the bulls, uh, less equipped to uh, to utilize a guy like Lowry in the role that he believes that he deserves to be utilized in, which is as an offensive focal point. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's it, I don't expect him to be back next season. It's kind of an unceremonious end to a guy that was the centerpiece of the Jimmy Butler trade and inspired such optimism in his second season. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the, those ancillary elements of his of his offensive game never quite came around and the roster flipped to such a degree. And, you know, the, the focus of the Bulls shifted to such a degree that um, it's just hard to fit him in uh, long term. I should qualify that, though, as saying, you know, never say never because he, because he's restricted. You know, if it's not too crazy of an offer sheet or whatever, you might just want to retain the asset. And maybe he is back under those circumstances. But just reading the way that his season played out, I just can't believe that he truly is a valued piece for the Bulls moving forward uh, to the level that he believes he should be as a 23-year-old who just, you know, for the record, shot 40% from three. You know, there are teams out there that are going to talk themselves into that and un- unlocking his potential. Um, but just, you know, the, the the expectations that we all had for Lowry at one point in his career have not borne out to this point. And it certainly feels like it's it's catapulting. Uh, do you, do you think that – do you think that – because granted, we've seen looking at Daniel Gafford going to Washington and he's benefited from a playmaking point guard and Russell Westbrook. And, you know, we've seen Wendell Carter go to Orlando and have a little bit more success. Do you think that if Lowry Marketing gets a change of scenery, maybe he goes to a team with a better playmaking point guard who can hit him in his spots more? He's very reliant on point guard play. Is there a chance that he is can be better than what he's shown or do you think that he's pretty much just going to settle into what he is now which is basically a floor spacer who doesn't really offer much versatility yeah I'd be hard-pressed to put a cap on any you know young guy's potential in this league after you know age 22 23 I think that would be unwise and and Lowry I mean again the talent is evident to be able to to shoot at the level he does um, at his size um, you know, there still are flashes of the things that we, you know, wish that had come around during his Bulls tenure. So I, I definitely wouldn't rule it out, um, especially because I, I love the Gafford example because Lowry's a guy that, you know, I just looked this up. He had 85% of his uh, made field goals assisted upon this year. That's by far the highest mark uh, of his career. I, I've used that as kind of a way to illustrate how he's dependent on others and he's not necessarily the the self-creation machine that he looked like he might have had the potential to be during the, the February Lowry stretch. Um, but it also uh, illuminates that, yeah, with maybe a more uh, traditional point guard uh, context or more traditional playmaker on the roster with him, there there probably is a tremendous amount uh, to unlock with him because at the end of the day, I mean, I even had questions about his shooting coming into the season because I think through three years, his Lowry shooting was kind of overrated just because, you know, he has um, such a nice stroke and he came out of, out of school with that being his reputation, but he really was a league average three-point shooter coming into this year. Uh, but this year he shot the ball at a, at a, at a great clip at high volume. 
that's certainly projectable to, you know, a different situation with, you know, kind of a more traditional playmaker um, as a boon for him. So, you know, all-star ceiling, which is what, you know, people had him pegged for early in the Bulls tenure. That one I would maybe balk at a little bit, but in terms of this being all Lowry can be for the rest of his career, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, put a cap on any 23 year olds um, ceiling, you know, just given the late development stories and successes that we've seen even this year. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is clear though, that it's going to be a little bit more reliant on the context around him um, than maybe we had originally thought. Going into uh, obviously with the off season coming about, it was nice to see Zach, you know, give an invite to, to Pat and Kobe uh, to work out together just to kind of see, you know, just take a leadership role. I think that's going to be very important going into next season. Um, I would like to see maybe Zach become a little more of a vocal leader uh, in that respect. Uh, I don't know who else the Bulls could get that could be more of a vocal leader. I just worry about that's one aspect of the team I kind of worry about uh, having somebody on the court. I don't know if Vooch is that guy either. I don't know if that's his personality. I don't really know a lot about him as in that regard. What are your thoughts as 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 that is concerned? Um, and do you think maybe the Bulls should look to sign somebody in the offseason that's maybe more of a vocal leader? Or do you think one of those guys can step up and be that? Yeah, no, knowing Vooch from afar, which is you know obviously Zoom disconnect uh, to a degree, but he he does seem like a lead by example type uh, to me, Zach. Uh, talked a lot about the season. His teammates talked a lot about him intentionally trying to step into more of a local, uh, a vocal leadership role. Uh, the the Pat the Pat and Kobe invitations uh, for summer workouts is is uh, certainly an anecdote um, that that relates to that. So you know, I, I think Zach, Zach has grown in pretty much every area uh, year over year throughout his career. So I don't see any reason why he couldn't keep growing into that role. Uh, yeah, I, I would endorse the bulls, maybe going out and trying to find that on the free agent market. I also think it complicates their own free agent situation because, you know, there's this debate, whether do you want to chase as much cap space as possible this off season to go after a big splash move, or do you maybe want to operate over the cap and be able to retain the depth pieces that you liked this season and, you know, maybe chase the sign and trade for Lowry, trace a mid-level exception guy and try to shore up uh, those areas of the roster and then hope that a full off season of preparation um, can yield, you know, internal improvement, and be better that way. Um, so, you know, th- that question to me is more a question of, you know, what do you, do you kind of cut ties with guys like Thad, um, who is obviously on the partial guarantee, Garrett Temple is an unrestricted free agent. And he, by all accounts, like completely stepped into um, a vocal front and center leadership role in the locker room. Um, we could tell that even from the outside, um, you know, not being in there necessarily every day. Um, so to me, that question is not only about, you know, do they go look for external hub for that, but also do you let the guys that have already, you know, proven something in those roles get away that are in your building already? Uh, I'll be interested to see how they approach free agency in, in that respect, because, you know, the cap space path is, is complicated, but it's going to involve you basically shedding all but five or six players on the roster who have, you know, guaranteed money for next season. And, and, uh, a lot of the, the vets on the team don't necessarily have that or the, the, the uh, classic kind of vocal leader vets uh, don't necessarily have that. Um, and then you could also say, well, you know, if they were such great vocal leaders, why wasn't the team better? And to which I would say, you know, touche. Um, but I still think those guys, you know, from Thad and Garrett specifically uh, did well, you know, given the expectations coming into the season with those roles. And uh, if you do want that element on the team, it's worth, it's worth really examining whether those two guys specifically are replaceable 
in that respect. Um, if you really, really need that quality that they bring. Um, and if they do, they'll, they'll obviously, you know, go in the direction that, um, uh, that they think, you know, that they, maybe they can, maybe they do think they can replace it elsewhere and they'll go a direction where they, where they look to do that. Um, but yeah, to me, that question is as much about, do they go out and look for external help as it is, you know, do they look to keep the guys that they already have in the building that are, that are proven at that. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Cause you, I mean, look, we talked about the, we uh, everybody in the fan base has talked about the, the true point guard thing being a, being a problem late in games like that, you know, just having guys that have been there, been battle tested, um, have been through the ringer and are kind of those veteran vocal leadership types. You can never have too many of those guys. Um, and they would certainly help in the late game situation department in the coming out prepared for every game department as this team that is still, you know, relying on young and they're not as young as they were at the start of the season, but they still are relying on kind of young, um, unproven guys to, to help this team make the next jump. Uh, you could probably never have too many of those guys. I, I definitely agree with, uh, with that. So what do you think about how the Bulls are going to really address this point guard issue? Because it's it, we, we know they have a hole there, but it's just the resources that they have to significantly improve that hole don't really seem to be completely there. It, like you could get Lonzo Ball. He would be an upgrade, but I guess it's to what extent is he an upgrade? Like how how high is that ceiling of him? as an upgraded point guard, or I, I think some people have talked about Dennis Schroeder and I, I don't really, I'm not really sure Dennis Schroeder makes a significant difference, but I, I guess I say that to say like, what direction can the bulls go in at point guard where after they do it, you feel really good about what they do. I gotta say, so there actually, there actually are some interesting names on the point guard market this offseason. Uh, Schroeder, obviously, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, if he uh, opts out of his player option, you know, Devontae Graham is a restricted guy. Like there are names out there that you could kind of talk yourselves into, but every name comes with this, um, the caveat of, well, the work that it's going to take to clear the cap space uh, to get to that spot where you're able to viably chase those dudes. It just costs you so much from a depth perspective um, that you have to be sure that that move is the true like third musketeer option alongside Zach and Vooch or maybe fourth alongside Pat. If you, if you really are banking on a, a big developmental jump from him next year, you got to be really be sure that that is the move that's going to take you to the next level because it's almost the last chip that you have to play. Once you um, clear out all of the, the roster spots and the, and the, and the salaries that it would take to get to the cap space necessary. I agree. Schroeder doesn't necessarily move the needle for me just because of the, um, the shooting concerns. And it, it, to me that, it doesn't. He doesn't scream. Um, although he, you know, I, I I really like the work that he does defensively, and uh, he's obviously super shifty and, and a good facilitator. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't immediately strike me as um, a, a fit with this Bulls roster, especially because again of all the machinations it would take to to get him. Um, you know, the ideal scenario for me, I guess, um, the two scenarios that I would feel really really good about in terms of addressing the point guard position would be if the uh, sign and trade um, option with Lowry that was discussed at the deadline, if that were to pop back up again, um, I, I don't necessarily see it as feasible anymore because of how much Lowry's value presumably dipped over the course of the season. But I would feel really good about a one for one, or maybe the bulls toss in a, a, a secondary asset or two along with it. I would feel good about that because you've, you know, taken a distressed asset in Lowry and, you know, turned him into something that fits the roster better. Um, even if Lonzo, I don't think is going to, you know, cure all of the bulls ales, I, I would feel good about that 
uh, just from a transactional perspective. And then, you know, it's kind of a cop out, but it's really true. Winning that top four pick. I mean, that's that's almost the only scenario that I think you could feel 100 percent good about before seeing it play out in terms of addressing the lead guard spot because of, you know, the guys that are uh, projected to be in that range, the, the Cades, the, the Jalen Suggses um, of the world. So really just because of how tricky a predicament they're in, those are the two off the top of my head that I would feel hundred percent great about coming into the off season. Um, just knowing this front office though, if they do address it and they do kind of uh, decide on a path that they like, I'm sure it'll be something creative. It has to be creative at this point because of the constraints that they're under. And I'm, I'm sure it'll be something that none of us have thought of. So those are the two that jump out to me, but I'm really, really fascinated to see how they address it. Cause maybe there's a trade candidate out there that nobody thinks of, or maybe, um, you know, they stumble upon a guy in the free agent market who's willing to take less or isn't, you know, is doesn't cost as much as, you know, we initially think. Um, but, you know, there, there are options out there. They're, they're a little bit limited by the cap space thing and by the fact that they traded two first round picks at the deadline. Um, but there are certainly avenues that they can take for me zooming out at this point in the season, the signing trade for Lonzo, Larry for Lonzo, um, or jumping in the top four and getting one of those kind of generational talent guys would be the two uh, that I would feel best about. What letter grade, I guess, would you give AK this season? Um, and Edward, you can answer this too. Cause I, I have some thoughts that I wanted to, get in but I want to hear your guys first so how would you how would you rate him this year uh b b minus like that um I I don't I don't know the other thing is I don't know where people fall on the uh on the grade spectrum in terms of what's a what's average and what's below average I think like a a tick below average just because the process of a lot of the stuff um he did I, I respected the kind of aggressive win now mentality I like the Vooch trade in the moment not willing to uh, to cast a perpetual or a uh, you know everlasting judgment on that yet. You know, see how next season plays out. It was obviously a trade that was geared toward next season too. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it didn't work out this season. The player development, um, as this is something I'm going to be writing about this week in NBC Sports Chicago, but the player development results uh, were pretty mixed on the court. While that was something that was super super touted as a priority coming into the season. Um, not only for the key guys, but also kind of at the end of the bench, there, there weren't those, you know, and maybe this is something that you, again, you have to judge over a long-term sample, but there weren't those kind of like end of the bench finds that you saw in Denver that made AK to me such an appealing lead executive candidate. Um, so, you know, I, I would couch anything with it's incomplete because we'll see what they do this offseason and we'll see what next season looks like. But to me, oh, and then I guess, you know, he makes the Billy Donovan hire, uh, which, you know, I still think is a pretty good hire. Um, probably the best hire they could have made in the circumstances that they were in uh, temple signing, you know, they didn't use their full mid-level. So maybe, maybe that is, you know, a resource that they should have tapped into a little bit more, but coming into the season with the evaluation, year mindset, I get it. Temple signing worked out better than I think a lot of people expected. So um, I'll give them a win for that. But overall, I think slightly below expectation. Um, although I like the process behind a lot of the moves, the results didn't add up. And at some point, you know, you gotta be, you got to be held accountable for the expectations that you set for yourself. I'm willing to be patient with a lot of this stuff, but the bulls themselves made the move during the pandemic season, knowing all the extenuating circumstances that come with that. Um, and it didn't work out. So that's, that's probably where I fall on them after one year. I'll say something similar. I think a B B minus is pretty fair. Uh, for me, I think what impressed me the most about uh, Karnishavis and Eversley is 
they went out on the trade deadline and they stuck their neck out there and they were buyers. So they added Boosh, they added Tice, they added Troy Brown Jr. I, I think that's really, really impressive to me because not just because in the past we've had a front office who's been really hesitant to buy at the trade deadline, even when they've been winning, but it just shows you that you have a front office who's willing to make those moves to improve the team. And they're going to exhaust every single market out there to improve. It's not just going to be, we're going to strike in the draft or we're we're worried about free agency. They're saying, okay, look, we'll use the trade market. We'll do the draft. We're still focused on free agency. We're going to use every avenue we have to make this roster better. So that was really impressive to me. Uh, I agree with Rob that, the results of the young talent in their development have been mixed. Like Patrick Williams showed some flashes, but also struggled. Kobe White struggled, showed some flashes late. Lowry Markman was overall a pretty big disappointment. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr., he struggled some. Uh, Gafford was, when he was here, he was struggling. So uh, the young talent overall, it was a mixed bag. But to me, I think they largely played a practical style of basketball that fit the players. And they also were interested in giving these players chances to see if they could provide value elsewhere. I know a lot of people criticize that, uh, you know, criticize for Kobe White being the lead playmaker. But I think it was relevant for them to actually put him out there to see if he could, like, show some instincts and could show some improvement there. Obviously, that didn't happen. So now we have more of an idea of how he's really going to succeed on this team. But I actually like that they put him out there and we're going to let him sink or swim. So uh, like Rob, I think there's still a lot more, obviously, that we have to see in terms of what they're going to really uh, cement themselves as long term. But I like the early results. I like that they stuck their neck out there and said, hey, we're going to buy on this all-star talent, even if we're not completely there yet. Like, let's see what we can do. So I'm encouraged by it. And, you know, I, I think they did a pretty solid job overall. Yeah, so I, I'm also in the same level as a B minus. And I, I'll say I'd like, I still like the trade. And I don't, I'm not someone that's a prisoner of the moment because I don't think this trade can be evaluated until we see the roster going into training camp next off season or next season, I should say. And I, I still, I think the Billy Donovan hire is still good, even though I may have had some, you know, questions as far as some of the things Billy was doing later in the season with rotations and just the way some of the lineups that he had out there, um, even late game situations. I feel like, you know, the Bulls never improved as the season went on in so many close games that they lost that you already brought up out of the five point or less uh, close, you know, clutch situations. You know, we never saw any improvements. I don't know if that just simply can be all put on the players. I think sometimes there's certain things a coach can do to uh, help the situation out. And we never really saw any, you know, improvements in that regards. Um, The biggest issue I have, and maybe, you know, people say it's nitpicking, and this is a gripe I have with Garn Pax as well. And it's kind of the same situation happening with AK this first season is the, the moves around the margins. Um, bring, like keeping guys like Felicio, uh, Denzel Valentine, wasted roster spots, um, not using exceptions at all to, to go get guys. I, I feel like there's so many opportunities. You, when you talk about 
player development, having, you know, players on, on the roster, not seeing what you have in Devin Dotson at all, not even a little bit to get him run. They played him one game, I think, this season in more than uh, minutes than in just garbage time. And it, and it was the Bucks game. It was the last yeah. game. Yeah. The bench mob. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I, I think those moves concern me. And the reason those moves concern me, I don't, I know coming into this season after the hire, the whole conversation was AK is going to have full autonomy to make all moves, whatever he decides, he's the guy. Um, and to not use his biggest supposed uh, attribute, like finding those end um, of bench guys that you can develop into rotation players, um, allowing him to go into uh, international waters and find some of these like Mike James, for example, uh, that we've already talked about in the past. Uh, I, I wonder, is that a Reinsdorf thing? Like, are they still cuffing him? I don't know. Or is that just something we need to worry about with AK? Maybe that's something he dropped the ball on. I don't know. That's that's concerning to me because when we talk about uh, a guy, uh, someone using all facets to improve the team, that's an important facet, whether and especially in today's league when there's so much talent in the G League internationally, um, undrafted free agents. That's such a big, vast talent pool that you cannot, absolutely cannot ignore. And and like I said, Bulls wasted roster spots on guys that should not have been on the roster. Felicia, I understood to an extent keeping him up to the trade deadline, but then what was the point of keeping him after that? Uh, again, Denzel Valentine, I never understood all season why they brought him back. And I feel like they could have given that to a, a to a young player coming out that maybe undrafted or overseas, someone like 20, 21 years old that maybe they could develop. But yeah, I, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. And wh- what do you gather and what do you what do you think that the issue could have been that they didn't really utilize any of those opportunities? Yeah, um, I can't say that I'm 100 percent sure, I think. In terms of you know ownership limit, limiting spending and things like that, I think it's at least encouraging that you know Arturis was able to be, um, or at least you know clearly had the autonomy to be aggressive and make the Billy Donovan hire for big money, build out the player development staff, um, and things like that. Like there were certainly um, kind of big money moves that were made in the off season, um, but I, I completely agree with you that that is one of the more glaring points of criticism that I could see with the tenure. Um, outside of obviously, you know, if you want to criticize the trade at this point, like anybody's entitled um, to that opinion, I'm not going to pass final judgment on it yet. Um, I still like the process behind it, but yeah, filling out the end of bench things. Cause like I said uh, earlier in Denver, like that was kind of the calling card of that front office is finding those, you know, I guess we'll see what Marco Simonovich turns into in terms of like second round pick fines. Uh, but yeah, like G league fines, international guys, uh, guys off the quote unquote scrap heap. Don't mean that disrespectfully, but um, yeah, I, I thought, you know, the Felicio thing, like you said, understandable uh, to use as a matching salary at the deadline potentially. But once you get past that point, it's like what it seemed like to me is they got caught in the middle of the evaluation year mentality and then shifting it to win now in the middle of the season. It not only screwed them up from a play style perspective and a schematic perspective, it might have screwed them up from a you know rotational perspective and kind of throwing all those things into flux, too, because like even a guy like Javante Green, who we see you know, for the last week or two of the season, like he showed so much in terms of, you know, he, he eventually takes Denzel spot in the rotation. I thought he showed so much more that was directly helpful to what this team needed than Denzel did really at almost any point in the season that I would have 
like to see him potentially earlier, even though he's not necessarily a, a prospect necessarily, you know, he's turning 28 this offseason, I think. Um, but yeah, there were little head scratchers like that throughout, um, you know, without the, without having the specific move kind of in the moment that I would criticize them for, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much I would say like widespread wise, just cause I don't know what the opportunity cost was in every specific scenario. But yeah, if you're trying to win now and the rotation was so fraught at different points of the season that, you know, spots 12 to 15 or whatever, are almost dead weight. Um, I think that's something that certainly warrants criticism. And until indicated otherwise, I think that criticism does fall on AK um, because every indication that we've gotten is that there is full autonomy, um, you know, in, in his hands. And yeah, I think, I think this off season though, will be again, another like, cause we're still, you know, everything that we're seeing from them is like the first time that we're seeing it. This will be um, the first kind of full off season after getting to see these guys up close and personal, get to know them for a year. Um, now that those, a lot of those guys that, you know, you mentioned as being um, guys that you weren't sure why they were still around Felicio, most notably Denzel was off the books. Like now that these guys are all off the books, if AK does take a more aggressive mentality to filling out the back end of the roster with either vet minimums, using the full exceptions, um, you know, trying to find G League guys. That's the other thing. They didn't field a G League team this year for the bubble, which I thought was an understandable. I actually interviewed the, the president of the Windy City Bulls at the time um, and got, you know, the, the organizational logic for that. And I actually did understand it. Like they basically just sent the guys that they had down with other teams um, to develop. They sent scouts in there to scout other guys's players uh and obviously that didn't yield anything in terms of signing or, or taking a flyer on a guy this season maybe it will next season who knows um but them reintroducing the g league team i'll be interested to see how they utilize that because um what has been conveyed to me was is that our Arturis has been super supportive of that program and you know has telegraphed you know intentions to to use it moving forward um so now that it's coming back next season i'll be interested to see how they use that resource Uh, But for this year, you know, when the intention is to win now, or at least the intention became to win now, um, you know, over the course of the season, middle of the season, I think you're absolutely right that it warrants criticism and kind of a maybe maybe even not criticism, but just a raised eyebrow as to uh, you came in with the reputation of someone that was going to do this. You know, why didn't you um, necessarily? So uh, I think, you know, we'll just have more data or more information on that after this offseason to to work with moving forward. Do you think that? uh do you think Samanovich, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing him, his name correctly, but do you think that he's going to to come over? I, I've seen like some comments that from uh, Karnishevis that it'll depend on which route they go, I guess, or they're still figuring that out. But like, do you have an idea of the scenarios where he could come over or the scenarios or what are the factors that may he may be like another year away from coming over? Yeah, he yeah, Arturis played at Coy at his end of season presser basically said he's in he said Simonovich was quote in in our plans. Um, but I think Casey asked the question and he followed up by saying, you know, in plans for next season. And they said they were going to decide that over the coming months. So what that says to me is that it might just depend on the moves that they're able to make in free agency or in the draft. And, you know, if there's a need um for a guy like Simonovich, maybe he does come over. It seemed like pretty much a, a coin flip just based on that answer. Um but, you know, everything that I've watched, and I've actually have watched a, a fair amount of Simonovic's games uh, over in Serbia. And, uh, you know, everything that I've seen from him indicates that he's, you know, kind of a stretch for gunner type and could certainly be of use uh, on the roster, um, especially if a guy like Lowry, for example, um, isn't back. 
Uh, you know, he is 21 years old. So I don't know. Maybe there's a question from like a developmental perspective. Maybe they want him to, you know, maybe they ultimately end up wanting him to play another year, fill out a little bit more, things like that. Um, I, I, I got to say, I don't really have a sense on that because it has been so um, so under discussed or underreported or just hasn't been, you know, a focus uh, throughout much of this season. Um, what AK's answer, what I read from it was that it's going to kind of depend on the offseason moves. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, what he brings eventually. Uh, cause you know, he is, I don't think his three point percentages are, you know, blow your mind impressive, but he, he does take high difficulty shots. He's a high volume, relatively high volume, three point shooter flashes of handling and passing, you know, you see the skill level there. Um, so I think he is a dude that could help this team eventually, uh, at the very least, he's a, see what you have type guy that you invest a roster spot in. And maybe that's a more productive use of a roster spot because he is young and with upside and, um, you know, maybe you, maybe you find a gem there. Um, but in terms of him coming over next season, I'd, I'd call it a coin flip. I mean, that's super speculative on my part. Um, but you know, I guess we'll just have to see how the next couple months, uh, play out. That's what AK has, uh, has conveyed at least. Yeah. I, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't. I remember AK saying that he is coming over this season. I mean, unless something changed with his contract, I don't remember, but I remember that's what AK had said last year when they draft on draft night that he's going to be a stash for one year and then he'll come over next season. Yeah, I'm looking up. I'm, I'm actually looking up that exact quote now because I have it in my notes somewhere. I, I remember it being they were going to stash him for at least one season and that being the. Because I felt like he said for sure he was going to come over and then I. Not sure if you remember Edward, but yeah. So yeah, the quote is we're going to stash him at least a year. He is going to stay there. Really excited oh, okay. to draft him. 51-41. So again, yeah. And then he just says all the reasons that they drafted him, shooting percentages. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I so I again I think that's just again, that's AK style plays a coy, you know, at least a year tells us he's not coming over this year in the moment on draft night, and then um, you know when you follow up now, it's what we'll see in a couple months. So, you know, we'll know when we know, but probably not too much before that. You said you watched him. So do you have like kind of maybe just kind of a light comparison of his game? You mentioned the three point shooting, you mentioned a little bit of some flashes of ball handling and uh, passing. Like who would, who would you kind of like, like, who does he remind you of? It's a good question off top. And honestly, I'm still working my way through his game. So I don't feel confident I'd, I'd qualify it with that like i'm not i'm not a marco simonovich expert yet per se but in terms of like the shooting versatility and the aggressiveness i don't know it's low-hanging fruit to say a guy like bertans or like uh just 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 from where where i could see the shooting going just because he has a pretty compact motion and seems to have decent success on it that's low hanging fruit. So I qualify everything I say with, you know, I still have to watch more of the guy and, and really dig deeper into who I would compare him to and what the projectable fit is. This is something that I'm planning to, to go um, deep on at some point in the off season, uh, especially if, you know, tea leaves start to pile up, then he might be coming over. Um, but I guess you could put him in that kind of box, like a guy that you could see being um, a movement shooter, pretty dangerous. He's, from what I've seen, he's fairly good at kind of relocating off ball. Um, so I, I see that as kind of the, the mold or the archetype, um, defensively, I really don't, I don't feel comfortable evaluating it. Just haven't watched enough, um, just in terms of what position he play or what the, the, how much of a rim protector he could potentially be. Cause he is six ten six eleven. Um, so whether he's a straight four or four five, I'm not quite sure yet, or whether he would project as one at the NBA 
level. Um, but he does play. I mean, he does. Again, this is all, you know, from a, a computer screen thousands of miles away, but he does seem to me to, to play with a certain intangible level of kind of toughness, um, competitiveness, things like that. So um, it'd be interesting to see how that would uh, project to the NBA. Uh, but the most, the, the, the most, um, the most palatable skill that I saw was the three point shooting on relatively, um, you know, moderate to high difficulty level shots. Um, and then a little bit of the passing too. I don't think he's going to be like a hub by any means, but he certainly seems like a smart, uh, instinctive player. And I just, from what I've seen of him, it, it made sense why there was uh, a level of, of intrigue in him from, from AK's perspective. I think um, I was just doing random research and somebody brought like Myers, Myers Leonard um, as a, maybe a comp for him. Uh, the type of player like a, a stretch guy or maybe at best a Nikola Vucevic. I don't know. That's yeah. He'd probably have to fill out a little bit more. Cause I'm not, I, again, this is limited sample, but don't remember him necessarily being as much of a, a post player as a Vooch or, you know, being as solid or sturdy as, as Leonard. So I'd be curious again, how he, how he fills out, I think will determine um, a lot of it, but yeah, any of these stretch big molds uh, I think is the, is the archetype that he'll, that he'll look to fill. Rob, thank you so much, man, for joining us again on Bulls Gold. Always great talking to you and always good to just get more perspective on this Bulls season, especially wrapping up this Bulls season. Can you tell our, our fans know where they can find your work, but can you tell everyone what you'll be working on in the off season and where we can see that at? Yeah. So NBC Sports Chicago.com, myself, uh, my colleague, Casey Johnson, we're, like I said, locked in for the offseason, um, still working our way through some retrospective stuff on this season. I mentioned earlier, we're writing something on um, the status of the player development program after year one. Uh, I believe that'll be up Monday. Uh, we'll have stuff kind of filtered out uh, throughout the weeks to come about, you know, which bulls, um, you know, are going to be back. What are the status of different uh, free agents across the board? Um, obviously, we'll be previewing free agency, hopefully the draft um, and what types of uh, moves the bulls can make there, what kind of options are on the table for them. Um, so yeah, at Rob underscore Schaaf on Twitter, NBC sports, Chicago.com, my team's app, um, bulls talk podcast. I should shout out to, um, to my knowledge, we're still going to be on that uh, two days a week, Tuesdays and Fridays with myself, KC, Jason Goff, Tony Gill. Um, so, you know, the season's over, the work's just getting started and uh, the bulls certainly have a lot in front of them. So uh, it'll be fun to, to break it all down. Uh, we're not slowing down. And uh, that's, that's where you can find uh, all that stuff. All right. Check out Rob Schaefer on Twitter. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to that. Also looking forward to listening to more Bulls talk. Celine, any final uh, thoughts before we head out? Yeah, just, it'll be interesting to see uh, just where we end up. Like if we keep that pick, it's going to be uh, obviously make, make the off season even more exciting. Uh, but I, I definitely think that I, I feel pretty good about this team heading into offseason. I think there's some things you can fill out. Um, I think not. Ha I think the the after the trade, there just wasn't enough time for chemistry to form. And obviously, we know they didn't have practices, so there was they didn't really get a you know ability really to play together. So I think that factored in and and how the wins and losses stacked up and especially because the schedule wasn't the easiest either so that all that factored in i think i think if it was the trade had to happen earlier um maybe like a month for example earlier i think we probably would be sitting in the play-in and arguably maybe 
earning one of those seventh or eighth spots. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that turns about. And yeah, you know, always great having Rob on. Um, I, I feel like we can just pe- pretty much say, you know, Bulls Gold featuring Rob Schaefer at this one because we we have not <laughs> we have him on so often, and he's he's always such a he's a backbone for us now. So uh, we so yeah, he's he's our guy. He's our our Bulls. Obviously, he's the Bulls beat reporter, but he's like our go to Bulls beat reporter. Yeah, love having Rob on. I'm sure we'll get him on on another uh, show pretty soon, especially during the off season. But yeah, like you said, I think that I feel good going into the offseason knowing at bare minimum that Zach Levine and Nicholas, uh, Nikola Vucevic fit together on the court. We saw those we saw those games. We saw those flashes. And I'm excited for that. So it, it will be interesting to see if we can get the right point guard upgrade. But overall, I think knowing that you have your two best players and that they fit well, even without a whole lot of practice, that's super encouraging. But We'll see, uh, again, we'll see what happens in the offseason. I'm really excited for it. But that wraps up today's uh, Bulls Gold. As always, you can check out our past shows on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always find us right here on Nothing But Net Radio every Tuesday, 9, 8 central in the morning. I'm Edward Schuler for Salim Surawala. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans. <laughs>